Hey guys, you're listening to episode 33 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we're speaking with Eric Most, Vice President of the Rocky Mountains Region for the National Christian Foundation. everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Keelan Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother Cody. On today's episode, we're joined by Eric Most, Vice President of the Rocky Mountains Region for the National Christian Foundation. Before NCF, Eric worked for his family's insurance business, Most Insurance, which he later went on to run and eventually sell. However, it wasn't until after selling his business that he realized that he made some significant mistakes along the way. Eric's experience selling his business and his deep passion for generosity led him to eventually take a position with the National Christian Foundation, a donor-advised fund platform that happens to be the sixth largest nonprofit and the largest Christian grant maker in the U.S. Eric had a wealth of advice and experience to share, particularly about asset-based giving. Over 90% of our wealth as a nation is wrapped up in the things that we own. And by giving out of those assets like stocks, real estate, and even our own businesses, instead of giving cash, we are able to add several multipliers to the impact of our giving. Eric also had some fantastic advice for financial planners wanting to help their clients through some of these processes. You're not going to want to miss all he had to share. Before we get started, you know this podcast has grown almost exclusively by word of mouth. For those of you who have helped us to get this message out there by sending a link to a friend or sharing on social media... We just wanted to give you a big thanks. It really makes an impact. And for everyone, if you think this or any of our conversations are thought-provoking or inspiring, take a second to share it with someone who might need to hear it. We have been blown away at how God has used some of these stories to make a radical impact in the world of generosity and missions, and you very well might be a link in that chain. All right, with that, let's get to the interview. All right, we're here with Eric Most today. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. We're real excited to have you on the show. Uh, it's a joy to be here. Thanks, guys. So why don't you just get us started off with a little bit about your background and your story? Sure. Happy to. So my name is Eric Mose, as we've already established, and it's my joy to be here and just to share a little bit about my story. So a story that's just infused by God's handiwork in and through and through me, and so long to glorify Him and through our time here today. So let's see here. You asked me a couple of good questions earlier. So to tell you a little bit about my family. So my wife and I, Jackie, have been married for 11 years now. We had our COVID celebration of 10 years and missed some of good celebrations there, but had the joy of being married for 10 years. We met a little bit later in life. My wife is actually 10 years older than I am. And we met in a singles ministry actually in, in Tampa, Florida. And so we have two amazing boys, Hudson and Elijah. Both of our boys joined our family through the joy of adoption. And it's God's kindness to us as he brought them into our family has just been extraordinary. So Hudson is nine and Elijah just turned six years old. Both boys are Chinese by birth and are fully American boys, though, as you would expect. And so they're an absolute joy. We live in Colorado. Colorado Springs specifically, and I have the joy of working for the National Christian Foundation. We met and started our marriage in Tampa, Florida, and much of our 
much of my story kind of leading up to where we are now is based in Florida. And God opened the door for us to make a move out here. And we just absolutely love living here in God's great creation. Something you guys don't get to experience like we have here, just the gorgeous <laughs> mountains. I I look out my front window in my office and see Pikes Peak right now that just has snow on it. It's just absolutely spectacular. So. Yeah, thanks for giving us some context, Eric. You and I had a chance to connect earlier, and you kind of laid out a little bit of your journey through working in a non-ministry setting, and I was hoping you could re-explain that for the audience. Sure, I'd be happy to. God's story for our lives is is always unique, right? It's made up with many hairpin turns and and peaks and valleys and things like that. I had the joy of being a part of a family property and casualty insurance firm. My father had started back in the 70s. Funny, I never expected to be there. My dad had sat down each of us kids in high school and on our senior year and said, hey, go to college, come back to work for me, take over the business, you can make X. And I remember when my dad gave me that as a suggestion and opportunity, I laughed at him. And I said, I would, I would never do that. <laughs> I went away to a small Baptist college in North Florida called Florida Baptist Theological College. And I was pursuing a degree of theology and had some bumps along the way there with some theological differences with professors. And in the end, I moved back home for six months to take my missing Englishes and history classes. And while there, I needed a little bit of employment. So I'd asked my dad for a part-time job in the insurance agency, and he said, sure. And so I started working there at Most Insurance, property and casualty insurance firm in Tampa, Florida. And about six months into the, my time there, maybe not even that long, maybe three months in, I realized that, man, he has a really good business. And I'd kind of be a fool not to be a part of this longer. My brother had joined the firm about a year before me, and he kind of came from the military and then the software world. And so he kind of came in from a managerial role, and I came in as a temporary help initially. And so I kind of worked my way up through the business. So at one point, I, I said to my dad, hey, I think I might want to stick around a little bit longer, like maybe forever. And so he's like, well, go get your insurance license, and you start doing these things. And so that's what I did. I got my license back in early 2000s and was working in the insurance industry. I actually almost didn't finish my undergraduate. I kind of got focused on working in the business world. And in a family business, I didn't really have the need for a degree. And so just started working in the business. At the time, my faith, though, kind of came into a crisis moment. Moving back away from this very Christian bubble, I moved back into town and I didn't get plugged into a local church quickly. I went to a couple and never felt that it was the right place for me. And so I kind of bounced around and bounced around and got more and more involved with business, more and more involved in our chamber of commerce who was doing some different events. And I ended up finding myself spending less and less time in the church. And Mm -hmm. because I didn't get grounded, I hadn't joined a local church. I was outside of community really had a time in my life where I was actually kind of walked away from the Lord for a season. I know that I was still saved. There was no fear of that. Yet I thought about God's call in our lives, and I wrestled with that. I struggled with the fact that I was far from God. In one of my first classes in college, one of my professors had encouraged us all to write down the name of 10 of our closest friends there at school in our Bibles. And he said, within 15 years, almost all of them will no longer be in ministry at all. And there was a season that I actually thought that I was like, is that my story of God? 
And by God's grace and in his kindness, he drew me back into a close fellowship with the local church. All the while, building up the business, continue to grow my role in the business, moving up into kind of like a chief marketing officer, and then eventually into kind of a quasi-CEO role. We didn't use titles, especially in a family business. That could be difficult, but effectively, that was my role. And around 2009, having still not been a part of a local church, God kind of drew me back in one. And while I was in that new church, I then met my wife now, Jackie. And she was introduced. It was a singles ministry of a church in Tampa. And she was introduced to me. I was starting to get into triathlons. And she was introduced to me as somebody who likes to train for triathlons. And so I would invite various other folks in the church. They all happen to be women to go out training, swimming and biking with me. And Jackie consistently came out and she just loved to train. She had no interest in me. I was 10 years younger than her. She didn't She didn't see me at all in that realm, and yet she would consistently say yes as I invited. And over that time, we got to know each other. God had drawn me back into relationship, tight relationship with him. I was growing in my walk again and growing in my thoughts of how can we run this business in a way that glorifies God. Really beautiful story. Through that, Jackie and I, I was actually training for the Ironman Triathlon. And along the way that we were training, we we courted, and it became pretty clear to me that Jackie was a pretty awesome woman. And I was like, all right, God, what are you doing here? And so one day out of the blue, I asked her to go out with me and to talk. And she really had no idea what this conversation was going to look like, but I laid out my intentions, you know, the whole like define the relationship that we all did back <laughs> in 2000s. And so, hey, I said, I've enjoyed getting to know you. I want to continue to be intentional to see if it's the Lord's will that we be married. And she said, okay. And six months later, I proposed. And three months after that, we got married. And that's the start of my journey to being here at the National Christian Foundation now. So in 2010, when we got married, Jackie and I were doing what a lot of couples do. And we went out to go gift registry shopping where you go and you get the little gun, you go into the store and shoot all the stuff that you want. And And I remember walking into Crate and Barrel excited. And I remember walking out feeling absolutely demoralized. We don't need all this stuff. And so I told her that. And I said, we don't need this. Let's just get rid of this this whole registry. And so we did. So we got rid of the registry. She deleted it. And the next day she went to Macy's and picked out a bunch of stuff. And she called me up all excited and wanted me to come see. And she says, anything you don't like, we can remove. And I'm like, we don't need any of this. She had picked out this three burner crockpot. It's a beautiful story. I already owned two crockpots. She owned two crockpots. And she had a townhouse that we were going to live in when we got married. I'm like, because we need seven crockpots. No, thank you. (laughs) So we got rid of everything on that gift registry, too. I'm definitely trying our marriage before it starts at this point. But God in his (laughs) kindness, I, I picked up a set of forks. And I'm like, these are kind of cool. And her eyes got huge because those are the forks that she picked out. So we had those forks and plates. And outside of that, we didn't ask for anything. A buddy of mine worked for the National Christian Foundation in Tampa. And he went to church with us. And I was kind of bemoaning the fact. And he had said to me, he goes, Eric, why don't you open up a giving fund with NCF? It's like a charitable checking account. And you can actually get a donate here button. And you can share that donate here button with others, and they can give into your donor advice fund, and then you guys can use the funds for missions and ministry and things like that. You guys have a heart for missions, and 
And so that's what we did. And that's how we got started with the National Christian Foundation. Along the way, continue to grow our business. My father was in the process of starting to kind of retire. My brother and I were buying up shares in the business. And we're just kind of going on with the rhythms of life. Jackie had encouraged me. She never pressured me, but she encouraged me to go ahead and finish up that undergraduate degree. And so I, I finally did. And, you know, there's lots of people that take seven years to graduate college. Usually they're called doctors, but that, that wasn't my story. But graduated from the Florida Baptist Theological College and was just, I didn't even know why I did it, honestly, because I didn't need it. I was building this business up. And we were a large small agency or a small, large agency based on the size. We had five offices in the Tampa Bay area, had about 25 employees at our height. And over some things that happened in the business, it became very clear to me that I was not in complete alignment with my brother, who would be my future partner. And I hit the pause button and wouldn't move forward with buying up any more shares of the business. And about a year after hitting that pause button, a neighbor of mine had come to me and said, Eric, he was talking about this new job. He just started working for a new insurance firm and his role was to focus on mergers and acquisitions. And so I said, well, once you get into your your new seat, why don't you take a look at most insurance? And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, take a look at us. And he did. And he put together a great offer. And I said, well, this is great. I'd be dumb just to look at this one offer. So we put it to market and took in some other offers and accepted an offer to sell our business, which we did in 2015. Had a couple year earnout with the new owners, but it became very clear to me that the way they wanted to run things in the future was not how we wanted to run it. We try to run a business that was redemptively minded, that really focused on our employees, focused on our customers in a way that was very different from other agencies. And that's just not what they were looking for. They were looking for the bottom line revenue growth. And I was never a yes man. I've never been a yes man. God wired me to be a lot of things, but that's not one of them. And so it was clear to me that I wasn't going to stick around long term. So I started building a real estate firm up on the side and expected my wife and I, Jack and I had had some success in real estate. And so we kind of figured this is kind of a natural place for us to continue grow. So I started building a real estate firm on the side, moonlighting. And as things were winding close to the end of our earnout, the new owners came to us and said, Hey, congratulations. You guys made top tier earnout. And this was on like December the 20th of 2017. And they said, but we're not going to renew your contract at the end of the year, Eric. And I was like, great, no problem. So that really helped solve this weight because I didn't know when I was going to leave. You know, trying to balance that. Am I putting them out? You know, and things like that. So I was building up my real estate firm when one of the guys at NCF in the Tampa office, we'd made some gifts into our donor advice fund after my sale because I didn't know about asset-based giving. I didn't know about the power of giving before a sale and things like that. And so a buddy of mine at NCF who knew us knew that we loved Colorado. We had bought a house out here during that time, and we longed to land here one day. We didn't know what that would look like, but that was our hope. NCF was looking for a new president for the Colorado office. And he said to me, he goes, Eric, you and Jackie, you love Colorado. You have a heart for missions and for ministry and generosity, and you made a ton of giving mistakes. Why don't you move out to Colorado <laughs> and tell other people not to make your same mistakes? You know, I didn't know exactly how to take that. Maybe that was on him a little bit, but no. And so in 2018, Jackie and I and family moved to Colorado 
where we joined NCF and have the joy of helping other families and individuals learn about the benefits of asset-based giving and a better way of doing it. Telling people, don't make my mistake. There's a better way. And fortunately, God has used that story, I think, to release huge dollars for kingdom impact. And it's an absolute joy. Yeah, Eric, I really want to dive into more about NCF and your role there. But I'm curious, knowing what you know now, how would you have gone about it differently? Great question. So knowing what I now know, 91% of our wealth as a nation is wrapped up, on average, is wrapped up in the things we own. And those of us that are generous, we do our living and our giving out of that 9%. And let's be honest, there's not a lot of margin in that 9% for extravagant generosity. And so knowing what I now know, I should have and we should have looked at giving part of our business, my shares, part of my shares to NCF, the National Christian Foundation, before we sold the business. And we also own some commercial real estate. And we didn't even think about, we just didn't know. We were generous, but we didn't know about the tools. And so we owned the building that we are in and we sold that to a developer. And I remember as we were thinking about it, we're like, okay, we bought it for this. We owe this. Man, this is going to be great. We're going to get some good dollars that we can use to live and to give on. And I just was ignorant. I didn't know about this whole thing called depreciation recapture. And like the IRS took all of that benefit (laughs) and it was like, oh, and so what I could have and what I should have done was gift some of our commercial real estate before we sold it and gotten the deduction, avoided the depreciation recapture and had many, many, many more dollars to give away charitably. And in fact, we should have done it 10 years before. And the income being produced from that that real estate could have just gone to fueling charitable giving. And so that's that's what I should have done. Yeah, that's interesting. I have a whole bunch of questions for you, but can you just go into that in a little bit more detail for maybe some of our audience who isn't familiar with all those terms about depreciation and, and how the recapture works and where the lost opportunity was in that and how it can be flipped around? Yeah, happy to, to the best of my ability. So I'm still not like a CPA or accountant, just to be clear. And And we would always encourage folks to go and get the advice from their CPA. That being said, there's a lot of opportunity that's available. And so taking that example of using income producing real estate, this might be one of, not the best, but one of the best opportunities for charitable giving. And so maybe I even illustrate it and that might help this this kind of make sense. And so let's just take an income producing property that's worth a million dollars. And you have your, it's rented out to a few different businesses. The owner of that business, and maybe it's held in an LLC, they are able to gift a portion or all of that business into the National Christian Foundation. Go ahead. You're talking about the LLC that owns that property, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, it dep- all depends on the different tax structure. So, in an LLC, it would be membership units. You know, if it's set up in a, as just pure real estate, they could deed a portion of it. If it's set up as an S-corp, and there's all different types, most real estate is held in an LLC. And so in that scenario, they could gift a portion of their LLC into a donor advised fund. And so let's take, let's just, just for easy numbers, and you know, and there's different tax rates in different states and things like that, but we're just going to use like broad 
broad spectrum ideas. You could take that million dollar building, let's say, and let's say they want to give 25% ownership to NCF. Okay. So a million dollar building and they're going to get at the time of the gift. So let's say they're doing it this year. At that time, they're going to get a deduction for $250,000 based off of the appraised value on that building for their taxes. If they can't use all of that deduction for their taxes, they can carry that over for the next five years. Okay. So they're going to get that initially. So now 25% of the value of this building is owned by a nonprofit, by the National Christian Foundation. They're receiving income on this property, right? Let's just say big numbers. Let's say that they get $100,000 of income a year on this property. After expenses, after cap expense and property management, when they do shareholder distributions or membership distributions, NCF would receive 25% of those tax-free. We pay no tax on that. Okay. It also, the person who gave it, the individual, the giver, they avoided realizing that as income. So they've had a deduction. They're now avoiding 25% of the dividends that are being spun off, right? And then let's say five years from now, that building's gone up in value. It's doubled in value. It's now $2 million in value. And somebody comes along and wants to buy the building. Well, NCF is a silent partner in this. We don't, we're not dictating anything. They were a silent partner. And it's sold at fair market value at $2 million. Well, $500,000 from the proceeds of that sale are going to go into the donor advised fund for the charitable giving completely tax-free. They didn't realize any of that as income either. Right. And so this just became an engine of generosity. And the same could be done through a business. It could be done in intellectual property. There's oil and gas rights, water rights. All of these things can be vehicles of generosity. Yeah, that's a super helpful example. And I think it really illustrates it to kind of use real numbers there in a real example. And yeah, you can see how there are many layers to the multiplying effect of that kind of giving. I did want to take a step back for a second to earlier in your story. You talked about after you guys got married, having this, well, opening the NCF giving fund and that you guys already had kind of a heart for missions and and generosity. I'm, I'm curious the step before that, how you guys kind of got to that level of, of having a focus on missions and on generosity, you know, even leading up to when you were getting married. That's a great question. You know, I think fully unpacking all the layers of what how God has done <laughs> that is, is difficult. But to me, a few major impactful things happen. The first was shortly after being saved. I got saved in high school, went to a inner city high school, which fortunately was God's providence and dr- drawing me to a group of people that would they'd share Christ with me that would come to know Christ. And it was a small Southern Baptist, old time church. I mean, with I don't know, 75 members and the day I showed up to the church, you know, they they did, uh, we're going to sing, come just as you are, you know, one more stanza. I was the only person that was a guest, you know, I'm the only person in the room that wasn't saved. And they're just like, all right, come on down. So got saved. And shortly after getting saved, they had a missions night where this family came from Tanzania and they just shared their story of, of being missionaries full time for the last like 30 years. And I just, I felt just, my heart was just I never understood, I never knew about missions and it just kind of opened up my eyes, so to speak, to missions. And, and I think 
partly from that is why I went to that school to get a degree in theology. It was this, this, I had a sense of calling, but I didn't know what that really was. And so that was like, I'd say, the initial seed. In college, the water to that seed, maybe, if we think about an agrarian kind of illustration, was an event that I went to with 60,000 other college students, and it was called Passion One Day. And it was the year that I think it was 2000 in Shelby Farms, Tennessee, was uh, Woodstock for Christians with guys like John Piper speaking. And it was the first time I'd ever heard John Piper speak. And he preached a sermon titled, Boast Only in the Cross. And if I could encourage your listeners, if they're looking for a good sermon to listen to, go to desiringgod.org or com and look up Boast Only in the Cross. And he talked about having this wild-eyed vision of, of missions and, and not ha- living a wasted life, and a wasted life being a life that's lived on ourselves and only. And they also gave out tapes, cassette tapes. There's some there listening to this podcast that don't have a clue what that is, but these were these <laughs> pre-iPhone things that you listen to sermons on. And they had trash cans filled with these tapes. And I grabbed one of these tapes, and it was sermons from John Piper. And the, the tape that I grabbed, I think maybe they were all this, was a sermon he preached at Wheaton College, and the title was Doing Missions When Dying is Gain. And if I could encourage one more sermon, it would be listen to that sermon. It changed my life. Outside of Coming to know Christ, it was probably one of both the combination of those two sermons, that event that then led me to listening to that sermon, had probably changed the trajectory of my heart like no other thing. And he talked about having a God entranced view of God and of life and doing all to the glory of God and not having a wasted life. And that just resonated so much with me. You know, this this realization that we are called to greater things than what many of us maybe think that we're living. And so the introduction to John Piper at one day was the fertilized miracle grow on that seed of that missions family that I first met. And so involvement in missions came to be a heart for discipleship and equipping and multiplying leaders was really birthed in me at that time. And so, and then Jackie, my wife, before we met, I mean, she had, she'd already been to probably 10 different countries on short-term mission trips, had been to Haiti and Namibia and, and the Dominican Republic and so many other places. And so she had this, this heart for missions as well that was happening at the same time as my path, just in different locations before we knew each other. And so those were the seeds that made that idea of charitable giving, of increasing our impact as like a yes. And we don't need this stuff. Like who needs seven crockpots, really? <laughs> Yeah, that's an awesome story. And I'm so glad you mentioned those sermons. We will certainly, if we can track those down, we will link to those in our show notes. And I will just say, we have a program that we call the Sprint Program, which is an eight-week program to help people explore and try to figure out what a financial finish line might look like in their life. And we have a video segment from that exact passion 
one-day conference of John Piper speaking. And so I can certainly relate to how impactful that particular sermon was that day. And, and I've heard that referenced multiple times. I don't think he even realized how much reverberations through uh, the following decades would come from that sermon. I spend in the mornings my time with the Lord, kind of go through time of reading the scriptures, but then something I've added in even recently is John Piper has this thing that he does now called Look at the Book. And he's trying to help us believers be able to look deeply at the Word and make connections. And I'm literally, he's going through Ephesians chapter 1. He spent six sessions on Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. And I'm sitting there and I'm crying in the morning, grateful for the ministry. You talk about generosity and finish lines and the impact that we can do. John Piper, from the first that I have known him in their ministry, was probably one of the first ministries that I was introduced to that truly had a kingdom abundance mentality. In college, and they still have this today, and it's changed in the digital world, but in college, they had a pay-what-you-can ministry. And it was literally, you called up Desiring God, and you asked for whatever resources you wanted, and you preface it by saying, oh, I'm a college student, and, and they're like... All right, well, you know, the bill for the all these resources, you've asked for all these sermon tapes, because we weren't downloading them yet, is, you know, $200 with all these books that you've got, too. Like, how much can you pay? And I'm like, uh, 30 bucks. And they're like, great, no problem. And so, like, I give them 30 bucks, and then they send me $200 worth of materials. I'm like, praise the Lord. And they had this mentality from day one of having this abundance mentality. And so, by God's grace today, we as a family, we support Desiring God for their fruitfulness because they give almost all of their resources are completely free. It's spectacular. I wish I wish more ministries had that mentality of let's not charge, let's be free. And we see that, right? version Bible app, right? They just turned over a half a billion downloads. They don't charge for that. Praise the Lord. So I'm grateful to see that fruit bared in other ministries as well, but it's not commonplace, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree that that's such an amazing opportunity for ministries to be providing materials. And there's all kinds of opportunities that we're actively learning about. And I really appreciate you sharing about Desiring God. That's just a really cool example. I wanted to get back to this point in your story where you're being asked to move out to Colorado and you're considering this decision and it's kind of a a huge ask. And I'm wondering, where do you go from there? Hmm. That's a great question. Well, I go back to John Piper again real quick, and I literally remember I was sitting in my car, and I was listening to a sermon of his. This one I can't remember which the title was, sorry, but he says that there are three types of Christians out there. He said there are zealous goers, there are zealous senders, and they're the disobedient. I sat there and I thought about if that's true. You know, it's definitely provocative. But if that's true, like, where do I land in that in that paradigm? You know, we have gone, we've done some mission trips, we've we've gone different places and different wor- across the country and the world, and led some pastor conferences and trained and preached. Had the joy of preaching in a small town in northern Africa and some different things like that. But hard to call what I've done zealous. And we've been a part of sending as well. We support our local church. We support different ministries, different missionary friends. But again, as I I evaluate that, hard to call it 
zealous or radical, maybe a, a better term. And so out of the three, I was like, man, I probably land closest to this disobedient. And I'm sorry to all of those listening right now, because that was something that I think you just can't unhear. And so I would I would encourage us all to constantly be evaluating if that is true. And it's provocative, but I think there's a absolute truth to it, right? We are called to go and make disciples. There's a level of we're called to send for the efforts of making disciples. And so if that is true, where do we land? And so as I'm driving around Tampa, Florida, post-sale the business, trying to think about next steps, that kind of that lands on me pretty heavy. And the National Christian Foundation, I opened the giving fund with them, but I didn't really know that much about them. I didn't understand what, what they were all about. And so part of this, where do we go now? I was building up what looked like it was going to be a very successful, very lucrative real estate business. My wife, Jackie, was a pharmaceutical rep. We were doing quite well financially. And so who is this NCF? What's this, what's this all going to be about? Is this gainful employment? You know, I didn't know any of these questions. And so did a little research. And so, you know, first off, like who NCF is, and there might be many out here who, who aren't familiar with the National Christian Foundation. NCF is found out that they were the sixth largest charity in the country. They are the largest Christian donor advised fund platform. And so in that terminology, just think of it as a charitable checking account. And so the largest Christian sponsor of those. And I found out that NCF, their mission vision is to see each person reach and restored by the love of Christ. That's their, that's their hope. And they do that. How do we do that with being a charitable checking account? We do that, NCF, or they did, and now we, as I'm a part of them, we do that by mobilizing resources and inspiring biblical generosity. I'm like, okay, I could get behind that type of mission statement, right? The the existing for seeing each person be reached and restored by the love of Christ. And so, you know, talking with NCF, uh, found out that it was also gainful employment, which was a huge bonus too. It was definitely not the same of my real estate business and my wife's pharmaceutical business. And yet, as we were thinking about this paradigm of zealous or radical, I like radical better as a term, radical goers, radical senders, and disobedient I have hope that in my work of being able to come alongside individuals, passionate believers, the desire to unleash radical levels of generosity for the sake of the gospel going forth, that while this does not feel radical, right? Like I have friends who are serving in in Iraq and Northern Africa, and what they do I consider is far more radical than what I do. But I do have hope that God is using me as a catalyst to inspire others to set that finish line, like you guys are talking about. I'm so grateful for the message that you guys are are bringing. So few people even thought about that. And so that you're giving people the paradigm to think about this. And we talk about looking at stewarding all that God has entrusted to us, our business, our assets. These can all be vehicles of greater generosity for the sake of the gospel. That excites me to no end. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm right with you on that. I'm curious, since you're, I think you're actually the first person that has such a close connection to NCF that we've had on the show, if you could share just a little bit about the history about NCF, how it began and, and evolved into the huge force it is in mobilizing resources, you know, like it is today. Yeah, it's great. It's an amazing story, honestly. NCF was founded in almost 40 years ago. And we are founded by three individuals. Most believers would recognize at least two of the three names. So we are founded by Larry Burkett, Ron Blue, 
And a third gentleman that nobody's ever heard of, but they should be. And his name is Terry Parker. And Terry Parker was the attorney behind the founding of NCF. And Terry Parker actually turned down an appellate court nomination to start NCF. And his whole desire and the desire of those three was to see the Great Commission be fulfilled. The mission vision of NCF hasn't changed over the years. It's stayed squarely where it is. It's the desire, the longing to mobilize resources for the sake of the gospel. So those three started NCF and had meager beginnings. Almost all the deals were done out of Terry Parker's desk in in Alpharetta, Georgia. And they had one assistant. And just the constant, consistent faithfulness of theirs and of believers just coming alongside and joining alongside NCF. Today, NCF has 30 offices across the country. By God's grace, We've helped mobilize, and we're just the conduit generosity. And so I use terms that maybe not everybody familiar with. We call we call the folks that partner with NCF givers because we're just we're not the end recipient. So you know, focus on the family. We would call them donors, but that's because they're receiving those donations. We're just the conduit of the generosity. So we call them givers. And so we've served a little over twenty four thousand different families and individuals last year. Givers through NCF gave a little over $2.2 billion into NCF, and then deployed out to 63,000 different nonprofits, just under $1.7 billion of charitable giving. In the history of NCF, we've seen almost $19 billion received in and close to $15 billion deployed for charitable impact. And so I even think about that a business owner who's listening right now and just thinking about maybe even the the small beginnings of their business right now and just the faithfulness of God, if they will stay faithful to him, just that impact can be a force to reckon with as it relates to the fight against the darkness, right? So I've had the joy of sitting down and talking to Terry Parker several times, and he is just amazed at what God has done. Eric, I'm curious personally, but I've also connected with a number of other financial advisors who happen to listen to the podcast. What opportunities are there for financial advisors who are working with clients and helping to manage money and come up with strategies and giving strategies? How can advisors represent NCF in these conversations? Are there opportunities to work together? What would that look like? Sure. Yeah, great question. I mean, first off, Let me commend the work that they are doing. To the advisor directly, you enter into a sacred place, right? Most families don't talk about money with anybody, right? It's a taboo subject. We've been trained, and that shouldn't be the case. The Bible has so much to talk about money. And let me also say, I want to give props to my financial advisor, but I also want to knock him at the same time. (laughs) My financial advisor loves Jesus, and he does an amazing job. And he knew that my wife and I were generous. The one knock I give him is he never introduced us to NCF when we were looking at selling the business. And he was intimately involved with the sale of our business. And there could be lots of reasons to that. But I will say that is the biggest missed opportunity that he had. He knew that we were generous, that we had a heart for ministry. And he didn't even suggest that we take a look at what would it look like to give part of our business to NCF. And so you all sit at a very sacred place and a place of great opportunity. When we talk about asset-based giving and we talk about the impact 
that it is to potentially gift part or all of a business or part or all of an asset and still be able to run that and still be able to produce income and still provide jobs and and use that then for greater kingdom impact. It's massive. And so to that advisor, there are a lot of ways to partner. First off, it will be probably the single best way to increase your referrals. You start sharing with your clients their strategic ways for where they can give more money away, and they're going to tell like no tomorrow to work with this advisor. So that's one way. It's a great referral program. But just to think about the impact, I, I work with a lot of different advisors here in town. There's a lot. One, if you're not involved with organizations like Kingdom Advisor, that'd be a great place to also learn and to connect. There's a, a great benefit there. We, we I actually host a Kingdom Advisor study group here in our office and love the work that they're doing over there. Ron Blue, one of the founders of NCF, also started Kingdom Advisors. There's a, a great marriage there, so to speak. But there's so many ways. I mean, we start looking at asset-based giving. It could be as simple as just tax-smart giving strategies, like giving appreciated stock, as opposed to realizing that as income, selling it and realizing income. If you would gift those stock into your donor advice fund, you get the taxable benefit immediately. You make the gift. You don't realize that it is income, so you bypass that. You get the deduction. You bypass realizing it as income. And then the proceeds go into your DAF. It's a beautiful way. And then you get to give them to the organizations that you know and love. For larger funds within NCF, those can also be managed by RIA. So registered investment advisors are able to even manage, actively manage the funds of their clients to see those funds grow. So those, we call those separately managed accounts. And those start at like $300,000 values and higher. But it's a great opportunity to continue to engage with your clients and continue to think about how can we grow this dollar to continue to grow and impact more folks for the kingdom. Yeah, Eric, I've become involved with Kingdom Advisors lately, and I'm in a study group locally here. And I would totally echo that for anybody listening who happens to be in this industry. It is really powerful, the the strategies. And I've become more aware of NCF and connected with some other people at NCF through that group. So it's clear to see the the cooperation and, and all of these organizations coming together to encourage and mobilize people toward the same end. And that is such a cool community to be a part of. And it's so great when it works. So I'm hoping you can tell us a little more about what you do specifically at NCF in your role. Sure. So another great marriage of organizations, if you will, is also generous giving. And Generous Giving does a lot with uh, Kingdom Advisors and NCF and, and all of the kind of threefold cord. And there's others as well, but, but these are a few major ones. I think you've had Todd Harper on. And so go and listen to Todd Harper's. It's awesome. But one thing Todd Harper has said is that he's never met a grumpy, generous person. And I got to tell you, I have the joy of working with some of the most generous folks there are. And I would affirm that 100%. Realize this is the complete opposite of the life I lived before working at NCF, right? Have you ever met somebody who's really excited about their insurance agent? I mean, come <laughs> on now. Like, like, you don't like any aspect of it. You don't like paying your premiums. You don't like the claim is disposed of, you know, none of it, you know? And so now I was always in adversarial role and I wasn't, but it felt that way sometimes. And now I'm always working with these super passionate, generous folks. They're like, oh, wait. You just helped me save a billion dollars in taxes, and instead of it going to the IRS, I have the joy of advising where those funds go, and they can go to to help focus on the family or compassion or world vision or 
or my local church or, or, or like, yes, it's like, that just gets them even more excited. And so my role, I'm uh, the vice president of the National Christian Foundation for the Rocky Mountain region. Our area is primarily Colorado, but Montana, Wyoming, and Utah is kind of all within my office area, so to speak. And so it's a terrible place. You know, there's nothing ever fun to do here, but I get to walk (laughs) alongside our givers and help think about how do they steward all that they have been entrusted. You know, one of our our friends at NCF and Generous Giving has shared a story of Pete Oaks. And Pete Oaks talks about how are you stewarding your life, your labor, your influences, your finances, and your expertise. And I think my role at NCF is a lot of just coming alongside families and helping spur that on and helping them think through that. What does it look like for me to steward my life? What does it look like to steward my my finances specifically, but also influence, expertise, labor, all of these get entwined. And so, you know, today I had lunch with a giver and and he has a business. He's going to have a liquidity event later this year, likely. And so through, we talked about what does it look like for him to gift a portion of his business to NCF, to his donor advice fund, the proceeds flow into his donor advice fund, and then he's able to, to give those funds away. And so my role a lot is coming alongside these super passionate individuals who are excited about generosity and then helping them think through and strategize and plan different ways. And so we then bring in NCF has, man, we have over 20 complex gift attorneys and tax attorneys and things like that. They're constantly thinking creatively within the guise of IRS rules, right? But like, how do we maximize the giving opportunities? And so I just get to be a bridge between the two. So I'm the friendly voice and the cheerleader and the engager. And then we've got the really, really smart people that are based in Alpharetta who can actually make these deals all make sense and get them done. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of stories of incredible generosity just through the people that you work with. Are there any stories that as we're wrapping up our time, any stories that stand out that you could share? Oh boy, that's a great question. You know, last year and this year, based off of when this is listened to, so if you're listening to timestamp this for the sake of the conversation, 2020, 2021, there's an opportunity to gift up to 100% of your AGI and receive that as a deduction. And that's because of the CARES Act that was first passed early pandemic and then was reissued at the last hour of last year. And there's a family that's always been generous that I've had the joy of working alongside. And we shared that opportunity, the opportunity to gift up to 100% of their AGI. And that is something that they had never thought about. They had always been a faithful, generous family. But 100% of your adjusted AGI, adjusted gross income, like that's pretty spectacular. But their <laughs> yeah. business had a spectacular year. And so they took that opportunity. And what that meant for them and for that family was they mobilized over $2 million of charitable giving last year. And they deployed a million dollars like right away, like straight out the door to, to a nonprofit. They, they never thought they would ever be able to give to that level. And just to see the joy that they have as they've done that is just absolutely spectacular. And frankly, like, that's a big lift, right? Like, giving 100%. Like, I already love the guy who's thinking, you know, 25%, 50%. I'm going to be a reverse tithe guy. I'll do the 90-10. I love these, right? I love to encourage this. And that's what you guys exist for, right? But here's a guy who says, we can give it all away, you know? There was another giver through NCF. We have the joy to partner with, 
and extraordinary story of them and a family that stewards a significant business, a business of hundreds of millions of dollars of value. And this is a crazy concept, right? This goes right in line with what you guys are talking about. He qualified to get the COVID checks, the CARES Act checks, because of his income limits. Here's a guy running a multi-hundreds of millions of dollar business and has capped his lifestyle such that he's getting the full COVID checks, you know? And he's just like thinking about, <laughs> wow. how can I be more generous too, right? And so through that 100% AGI giving opportunities, they were able to actually bonus themselves out of the business at a higher level and then give 100% of those dollars away. And so I think those are some fun stories that I've gotten to see. You know, we have a lot of givers who have leaned into this concept of impact investing as well. And, and it goes back to that stewarding our life, our labor, our influences, our finances, our expertise. It's the the parable of the talents. Like, I believe there is a place for pure charitable giving, 100% giving to your local church, giving to orphans and, and widows and, and, and things like that. These are 100% right. But there's also this place as we think about the parable of the talents, like, you know, it's a scary parable to spend time on. Mm-hmm. And yep. I've seen a lot of growth here in Colorado and the folks that I have the joy of working alongside leaning into this idea of impact investing. And so using their charitable capital to make investments in either for-profit or nonprofit entities and doing that, that have a God-centered return in, and that could be in how that they employ or what they're doing and different things like that. And then see a tax-free benefit coming back into their donor advice fund so they could either invest it again or to give it away. And so those are some really, really exciting things that I, I have the joy of seeing. That sounds like one of the coolest job descriptions I could imagine. And <laughs> I, I'm so jealous. And uh, I understand what it's like to work with people to achieve their their goals. And, and money has a role in all of it. But really, just working with great people is, is what makes the job so fun. I had one final question about your role is, what are your goals? And how can you tell if you've been successful? Hmm, that's a great question. By God's grace, here locally, our office, givers through NCF here in Colorado area have mobilized. At the end of this year, it'll be about $275 million since this office has been open. So in the last, say, seven years. And that is truly spectacular. The impact that that has on our local community and on the nations, all the peoples of the world is massive. I do have a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious, God-sized goal, though, and I don't want to diminish that amazing impact that's already happened. I do have this like catalytic vision of like, what does it look like to see a billion dollars deployed here from our office? To me, that's something that's way beyond our team here. That's way beyond like what you would expect for a community. And so, you know, I think success is more faithfulness in my mind. And it's leaning on God because that goal is not something that we could do, could not do that. But I'm looking for God to come in big and see a billion dollars deployed from this office. Then we'll go from there. But that's that's our next kind of step on the rung, so to speak. And, you know, in my experience, God has a habit of answering those kind of big goals and, and requests. So I'm excited to see, you know, how things continue to play out in NCF and specifically in, in Colorado and the Rocky region. Well, now that we're getting to the end of our show, I did want to get to our manager's minute. You know, we spend all this time talking about the idea that we're managers of God's wealth 
and everything always has and always will belong to him. And, and we're just managers on his behalf. So at the end of every episode, we like to give our listeners one practical idea for how they can be a better manager of God's wealth, something that, that they can act on today. And when we have guests on the show, we like to give them a chance to share an idea of their own. So uh, do you have a, a quick suggestion for how people can be using any financial margin they have to serve their communities, advance the gospel, build God's kingdom? Well, absolutely. First off, I would say, don't make my mistake. Looking at your hands, right? Looking at what God has placed in you to steward, is there an opportunity for you to steward that in a different way, a way that your financial advisors or your tax account says you can't do that? And look to see, is there a way that that could be a, a kingdom force multiplier? So for one, you know, think back about that 91% of our assets, our wealth is wrapped up in the things that we own. So is there a way to free up some of those for greater charitable giving, to be an engine of charitable giving for that end? And so it's not an easy one necessarily, but it is as easy as reaching out to a local NCF office. Like I said, there's 30 of them across the country and and having a conversation, sitting down with your financial advisor and saying, hey, is there a way that we could be better stewards of all that we have? Maybe the easiest thing, like the quickest way to get started, if you will, is even consider looking at maybe appreciated stocks that you have. If you've only been a checkbook giver, giving appreciated stocks is just a brilliant way to increase your charitable giving. It's as simple as, let's say you wanted to give $10,000 away to your local church and some nonprofits this year. Instead of giving $10,000 worth of post-tax dollars, Instead, look at maybe stocks you bought a couple of years ago. So maybe in the early days of the pandemic, when Disney was super low or Apple was super low and you jumped on it, right? So let's say you spent $5,000 and that stock is now appreciated 10000 Instead of selling the stock, realizing the gain, paying taxes on it, and then giving those dollars away. Instead, you could give those stocks to a donor advised fund. NCF would liquidate those funds. You get the taxable benefit of that $10,000 deduction, that fair market value of the stocks. You don't realize any of that as income, so you don't pay any additional taxes on it, right? So you bought it at five, it's grown to 10, you get a deduction. So effectively, it costs you $3,000 to give away $10,000. To me, that's like a no-brainer, easy way to get started. And when you're looking at what all you have, and then let's look at some of those other assets, those income-producing assets, those oil and gas or water or intellectual properties, all of those things can be great opportunities for you as well. Yeah, I love all those strategies. And I look for opportunities to implement those in, in my own life and with clients. And I couldn't agree more that those opportunities, the more creative you get, there's just so much room to amplify giving and to seek out opportunities to do so. So thank you so much for sharing. If people are listening and they want to find out more about NCF, where can they find you and how can they get in contact with NCF? You're right. Super easy. NCFgiving.com. It's an incredible resource. And you'll get a little pop-up like we all have. And there's a place where you can sign up for a Saturday 7. And it's not you're not going to get spammed or anything like that. But every Saturday, you'll get in your inbox seven top resources on generosity. And this is curated all over the place. Actually, you guys have been featured on the Saturday 7, this podcast, <laughs> right? So this is awesome. So Check out the Saturday 7, but in there, there's a place you could drop down and look at all the different offices that we have. You can just look and you'll find a a place that's close by and there's contact information for a local office. I'd encourage you to be in contact with a local office. You'll be served well there. And so ncfgiving.com is the easiest place to go. 
and sign up for those stories. It's pretty incredible. The team over at NCF does a great job of sharing incredible stories to kind of come alongside and, and to feed us and help us think through different tax smart giving strategies and opportunities to be generous. Awesome. Well, Eric, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for not only sharing all of your wisdom and experience with us, but also your story, which is really an incredible one in its own. So clearly God is at work in your life and through NCF and through all of the people that you get to work with on a daily basis. And so I hope that he continues to bless you and NCF and the work that you're doing. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. It's been my joy. Hey, can I pray for the audience as we go? Would you mind? Is that okay? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I'm grateful for that individual right now who's sitting in their car and driving. And maybe they've got a big weight on their heart. And maybe some of the words that were said today would inspire them to think differently. Maybe make think about how they steward their life, their labor, their influence, their finances, their expertise. And pray for that that individual who is struggling with the work that they do right now and, and maybe not seeing the connectedness of how this is making an, a kingdom and an eternal impact. I pray that you would give them a breath of fresh air, knowing that you are, are sovereign over where we are. You're in charge of our story, and you're working that story for our good your glory and the joy of others. And so I pray for even endurance and faithfulness. And I pray that the message of this podcast, of setting a finish line, of thinking about how can we unleash even more resources for the sake of the gospel, so that way people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we gather around the throne of grace, worshiping you. Father, would you work through this podcast, even right now, bring conviction to souls, and give action to feet. We pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who is living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we would love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. They just need a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we would be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com, and a real living person will respond to you. Finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 33. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. Music.